Hello traders, welcome to another Performante podcast. This is going to be episode 10, so it's been a great 10 episodes. Hopefully this one's going to be jam-packed with information. It's a little bit more analytical, but um, we got a lot of information that we're going to be going through. So uh, I'll pass the rest of the introduction to Nathan. Hey everyone, hope you're doing well on this October 24th, here for the 10th episode. Uh, We're keeping this one to speculations we like and speculations we don't like and are avoiding. Uh, the market's been booming. Uh, most indices are at all-time highs, which we love to see. Fed's doing its job, I guess. And ultimately, there's a lot of companies that really shouldn't be valued that highly. And so these are the ones that we're going to be sticking away from. So if you do want to learn about the assets that we are looking into buying, and we have been buying, as well as selling and avoiding, then stay tuned and buckle up. Yeah, we're definitely going to be going over some good information. The first chart we're going to be looking at is the S&P 500, the 500 largest companies in the world within an index, or not in the world, in America within an index. And we see that it broke the all-time high that we hit back in February of 2020. So this was prior to the whole COVID pandemic and uh, really the start of uh, what we all know to be a crazy 2020. So there's that huge sell-off and we see that today, huge gap way above the key level of resistance and now we're holding and we actually closed today green indicating that the buyers were stronger than the sellers so confidence is really in the buyers the bulls are really taking the charge and we can see since that bottom and and i can full-heartedly say that uh i was short in may and uh we got blown out i did not hold that trade obviously and uh we shift our bias kind of at that point from around 29 or 2970 and from that point onwards, it's it's really been just a very, very strong, clear risk on move to the upside. So uh, pretty unbelievable. I personally did not think that we were going to get to this level. But I think at this point, it's it's pretty safe to say that this $3,400 level is going to be a new level of potential support because it was the previous level of resistance. And uh, we could be looking to continue the trend to the upside. So that's going to give kind of the overall perspective of the financial markets from our perspective. Got anything to add there, Nathan? No, I feel that within the realm of trying to analyze where the American economy truly is, the S&P is a great way to start because obviously NASDAQ is orientated towards more tech stocks, consumer-based, but the S&P really has such a wide breadth that it's our go-to indicator just to see how this recovery from COVID is happening because those March lows were pretty low. Yeah, they were, they were extremely aggressive. And this is NASDAQ. This is the future uh, that uh, you were talking about here. Uh, And we can see it's just been an absolute monster climbing up to 11.6 K really just making great market structure, making higher highs, higher lows. And we do see a little bit of a, contraction in the volume and then you see that uh pretty solid impulsive move with rising buy volume so yeah if you're going to be looking to any or if you're going to be looking to long any index the nasdaq would probably be it if you're just looking to continue the trend if you're looking for shorts the nasdaq probably would not be it just because it's so relatively strong compared to other indexes like the russell 2000 hasn't been doing that well um if you're looking at like the world equities just in a nutshell we do see vt's uh vanguard we haven't really crossed the the full mark yet so if you're not looking at just america but the whole world equities are basically almost at an all-time high here so 
it's not just America that's seeing a huge move to the upside and a rally, but you know, even Europe, Germany, uh, Japan's been doing pretty well as well. So kind of the whole world's been uh, kind of picking up from, from what we saw back in March and April. So great to see for the bulls, great to see for investors, and obviously for the economy and for people who have businesses and stuff. It's a very positive thing as well. So overall, we're pretty happy about that. But um, something that we're going to get into now is talking about gold and silver and a little bit of crypto as well but um we've been harping on on our channel for a while here talking about gold and silver really for uh over a year kind of seems like talking about the potential opportunities and uh they're, they're really coming into fruition so let's take a look at the gold chart and we've been we've been talking about this for a while here on the weekly <laughs> on the tiktok i did say nineteen thousand. my mistake but $1,900 is a major, major level. Now, I'll let uh, Nathan, if you want to uh, chime in and say a few words, I'm going to do a little bit of TA on the chart, and then I'll uh, talk about it once I'm complete here. Sounds good. I mean, within the realm of the major events we've been talking about so far, the namingly being the March sell-off, it's made one hell of a run. I think that was a time where... Everyone was just looking for liquidity-free capital, and it started a very uh, severe positive feedback cycle downwards, because even gold, hypothetically a store of value where people should uh, flock towards during times of uncertainty, also went down. But in the aftermath of that, we have seen an incredible run. It went as low, it looks like 1450 on those March lows, broke 2000, which is an 11-year resistance and is now retesting that zone as a support. Um, we've been harping on, harping on it along with silver. Like these are gold, silver, crypto. That's really our niche, these sound monies that are immune to inflation um, because inflation's a bitch. And ultimately what we have seen from gold and silver, great performance. It's, exa it's performing exactly how you would want a store of value to perform. Yeah, okay, fear, uncertainty, people are searching for liquidity, maybe they're getting margin called, but it's in the aftermath that people really try and begin to question, like, okay, do I need to be hedging the rest of my portfolio? Indexes are at all-time highs, it's likely not organic with the sheer amount of money devaluation that's going on. Like, the market structure right now feels very fragile, and I think people are beginning to catch on to that just because these precious metals are doing so well. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there's going to be, at a certain point, a, a series of events that create, I don't exactly know what it is, but it's going to create another leg down, in my opinion, for the equities market, and then gold and silver will really shine. Or there's going to be at least like some level of consolidation where equities and risk on assets where speculators are doing well are going to take a little bit of a backseat. And then, like you said, the fixed supply that is kind of like inflation resistant, like gold, silver, and crypto are really, really going to be taking the lead. And then we're going to see the dollar kind of collapse and go further from where it currently is right now. So that's our perspective and our kind of future potential outcome that we do see happening just with how uh, how uh, monetary policymakers are uh, kind of reacting right now and how they've reacted in the past. So it, in, my, in kind of our opinion, it's inevitable because there, there's not really much else to do other than just try to print money to expand the balance sheet a little bit more and try to create this uh, bull run from continuing on. So 
that's that's their that's their job and our job is to uh, try to make money from that <laughs> so uh we're gonna get a little bit into gold here very quickly so we already talked about that 1900 dollars zone that was the all-time high in 2011 that nathan talked about what we're currently seeing right now is a series of lower highs squeezing the price towards the apex of the structure right here creating a descending triangle formation where this green area which which is a horizontal level is creating a strong level of demand because of the previous resistance zone we see we absolutely blew through the roof we had a pullback validated it we got a strong injections of buy pressure coming into the market and now we're getting a higher low so we could see something like an ascending uh triangle something like this but what i'm really looking for is to see the series of lower highs fail and then we get the nice break and then a retest validating the previous resistance as a new level of support and then we're going to get a strong move to the upside continuing the overall trend for the metals market so that's going to be our our analysis the things that would make it fail is if we continue moving to the downside and we don't see an impulsive push creating a higher high. If this continue goes to the downside, we could be using a potential descending wedge or something along the lines of that. But uh, in terms of gold, that's what we're seeing right now. So I think, and, and Nathan thinks as well, that this is a pullback in the overall momentum continuation to the upside. So great opportunity in my opinion. So uh, if you don't trade futures or contracts for different CFDs, things that you could use to gain exposure in the market. So, you know, we've made videos, we've made blog posts and talked about it within the Discord, these different type of ways of exposing yourself to gold and silver. The first one, GDX or GDXJ. So GDX is a ETF for gold miners and then GDXJ, I'm sure you've guessed it, is for juniors. So this is gonna be for smaller cap and then GDX is gonna be for large cap. Obviously, the more speculative small cap is going to move higher and appreciate at a greater rate when there's a metal market. But like oh, like anything, if it goes up faster, it's going to go down at a faster rate as well. So just something to note. And it's in a very similar situation to what we see with gold. Let's just go to the weekly here. There's that key breakout zone. And we can see that this is 2011. So GDX is actually not even close to its all-time high relative to gold, which is broken to 2011 high. You can see that right there. So in terms of where the miners are versus the actual asset and uh, commodity of gold, we see that gold miners are actually underperforming or still have a lot of run up before they reach the same relative level to the actual underlying asset. And same goes for silver, right? So if you're actually looking at silver, the asset itself, we do see that it's much lower relative to where gold is in 2011. So we see that gold has reached and surpassed the 2011 highs where silver has still basically the double amount. It still has to go up 100% in order for it to even reach 2011 highs. So silver yes, is a lagger, but it has the potential for it to appreciate much, much faster and at a greater rate just because it has so much catching up to do. So that's kind of why we've been talking about silver as well as the gold and silver ratio looking very bearish. Um, so quick uh, description and an understanding of why on a global macro scale, we think that gold and silver are looking like a great opportunity. So like I said, GDX, GDXJ is for ETFs. And then SIL is for uh, silver. You can see that right there. Kind of a similar chart. We see that high 
around $53. We can see that was the kind of a double bottom we see right there. Very, very strong level of support turned to new level of resistance. We see another rejection recently. So I think if we are able to break above this $53 zone, that's going to be a really good opportunity to enter Silv if you are looking to gain exposure in the silver market and not so much gold. Although they are going to go and move in tandem if there is a metals market like we saw back in the 70s where gold and silver moved up. Well, silver moved up at a higher rate, but you're making money either way. Um, now we're going to talk about uh, from metals, we're going to go switch up into crypto, still talking about different ways to gain exposure in markets that you may find hard to gain exposure in initially. Like for example, if you don't want to buy a ledger, invest in cryptos through actually buying the coin, you can use uh, three examples that we're going to go over today. G, BTC. So Grayscale's uh, public company is uh, a potential for you to invest in. So if we go log, we can see as a very similar structure to Bitcoin. It actually hasn't uh, performed as well as I thought. Obviously, it's not going to be directly related, but uh, there is obviously a very positive correlation here. And this is uh, a company that mines and uh, produces information for uh, basically... Uh, institutional investors or other firms and funds that want to use uh, Grayscale's tools and platform information to their advantage. Mara is another, oh, uh, other, I believe, don't think it's that one. I think it might be this one. Maybe not. I'm going to skip that one. I'm going to go Dash because I know Neptune Dash. There's another one called Riot that we could cover after, but Neptune Dash, in my opinion, is the big winner of the three. Hasn't been doing a whole lot, but that company has a very structurally sound business model in that they hold um, Dash Masternodes, and these Dash Masternodes require a thousand Dash each, which is a pretty hefty amount. And... Uh, if my memory serves me, I believe they have 23 masternodes, and that generates a new masternode in less than a year. So ultimately, in order to maintain, they just have to cover their own costs, which they can with their staking system that they've built. They also stake other people's Dash that maybe don't have a whole 1,000 to put out into the network. And so this allows kind of for like a crowdfunding system where people can bring together different pools of dash to all benefit in a proportional amount to based on what you contributed it's a pretty interesting idea for a blockchain tech company and i think it's in terms of the other companies that are in the space which are just kind of like buy and hold hope the company moons kind of deal this feels like a more intuitive system yeah very well said definitely also, just while you were talking, uh, very easily to understand structure that we see right here. It's a squeeze. I think it's a great opportunity uh, in terms of the potential breakout that we could see in the bottoming pattern for this symmetrical triangle. And we'll go to Riot, which is the last one. Did you have anything to say about uh, Dash there, Nathan? Or should we just go on to Riot? Uh, we can wrap it up and go to Riot. Sweet. All right. So let's go to zooming back here. We saw that it was... Uh, Estimated uh, in 2000. So this, I'm sure, company definitely has a long history of doing something other than blockchain. Uh, obviously, because we can see that 
it was pre BTC, but um, I actually don't know what it did beforehand. Yeah, now that you mentioned it, nor do I. Let's see. Because they started it in 2003. In 2009, or is it 2009? So yeah, they did something before then. I don't exactly know, but let's just go into a smaller time frame right here. 30 zone, pretty key level of significance. We see lower lows, which isn't awesome to see. I would say Riot would be a good opportunity once it starts to really move. But as of right now, it's still making some pretty significant lower lows. Hasn't really climbed out of it breaking above the key level of a high back in April of 2019. So it's not doing phenomenal in terms of where it is, but if you are looking at it from a smaller time frame, it has been proving to uh, make some strong pushes to the upside here. So I would say you'd want to wait until it's breaking above five bucks above this high, just a little bit more of a confirmation because that's going to be a very, very significant level to pass. We see it didn't pass it for... Let's see here, like a thousand days basically <laughs> above $5. So I'd like to see it break above $5 before, personally. Uh, just to tack on, Riot Blockchain used to be known as Bioptics. It was used, it was known for having veterinary product patent and developing new ways to test for disease. Huh, interesting. They changed their name from to Riot Blockchain, and their stock went from $80 to $40 a share. <laughs> wow. <laughs> kind of the opposite way that they wanted to go, I think. That's, that's actually funny. They used to be like a biotech company, and now they're a blockchain company. Yeah, it's adapt or die, I guess, in, in some sense. Pretty interesting, though. Cool backstory that I did not know. All right, so next thing we're going to talk about is Weeble. So we talked about uh, Weeble in some of our social media platforms, but if you don't know, Weeble is a broker that you're able to use to trade absolutely for free. So it's commission-free trading uh, in the States. You get a lot of different uh, tools and features that uh, is provided from Weeble. A couple of them are going to be the three-month trial for the level two data. What's going to be level two data? If you have no idea what it is, it's going to be a data source that gives you the amount of buyers and sellers in the market looking to either buy or sell that have a order in place. So let's say you're looking to buy $100 worth of Bitcoin and you have an order in place at like, I don't know, uh, $12,000 you want to buy well, your order is going to be within that order book. So it's going to give you a lot of information that you would normally not be able to see without this very useful tool. And normally people that are short term trading use this tool. Whereas if you're looking to more invest or swing trade or longer term position hold, you wouldn't really ever use the level two. So if you're looking for a shorter term trade tool to help you gain a little bit of an edge and advantage over the other traders in the marketplace, that uh, three-month level two data feature is going to really help you out along with their great desktop platform. It's a great uh, combination of tools and easy-to-use platforms that are really going to give you an advantage in our personal opinions. And you, you can't not love commission-free trading. That's um, unheard of, you know, a handful of years ago. And now a lot of corporations and brokers and exchanges are incorporating that uh into their system so yeah uh, 
It's something that's become way more popular. But just to wrap it up, we love Webull, commission-free trading, free level 2 data. Their desktop platform is intuitive, fully customizable, all with those widgets that you can move around. Kind of fun to get a custom setup. Even if you aren't looking to take advantage, their paper trading platform is a great way to get risk-free exposure in the markets because using real money is scary and paper trading is a great way to test the depth of the water but only use one foot. Uh, you can get free before and after hour market trading capabilities, not something you can get on Robinhood. Better yet, you get two free stocks when you sign up, so hit the link uh, just below in the description. Make a deposit, try out their platform. We appreciate it. We will appreciate it. You'll appreciate the features. Definitely. Do you want to quickly talk about the EV craze that we're kind of experiencing right now? Yeah, so we kind of got two more topics. Uh, these are just companies that were, um, were not actively involved in investing or looking to capitalize on. And it really has to do with the electronic vehicle sector. Namely, the candidates being Tesla, Nikola, Tesla, Nikola Motors, and NIO as like kind of the three on our radar. Um, Tesla, we love Elon, but this stock is way too overvalued to be anywhere close to its fiscal value. They are barely profitable. They are driven by hype. I don't know. Lithium, lithium extraction is still very expensive and terrible for the environment. And ultimately, this company is very overvalued. And the faster they go up, the faster they'll come down. And that's just not really a level of risk that I want to get involved in. Like, you want to protect your account, and buying Tesla at 2000 USD is probably not in my best interest. Yeah, I completely <laughs> agree. Yeah, definitely. I think if you are looking at this thinking it will appreciate as, as an investor or individual, you know, you could, yeah, just say it could potentially go up higher, but having some level of risk management strategy that's going to give you, you know, some manageable loss if you're wrong, and I think is really important because you could say, okay, it's overvalued, but let's say an individual just absolutely loves Elon. I love Elon too. I get it. He's a really cool guy in some sense. Um, I can see why you, you know, as a, as a retail individual, maybe perhaps you want to invest in it. Having some risk management structure, or risk management structure, right? So I would say right now the support that we're holding above pretty well is around $1,400. If it goes below that, we see a very strong level of support hold here. That's going to be, in my opinion, if it goes below that, might be something to kind of think about if you are an investor in Tesla. And my personal belief, uh, to be completely honest, I don't actually hold Tesla or anything just because at this point in time, it's a little bit overvalued. And uh, I do think its long-term potential is still there. It's just I think that you could potentially get a better price for it. So... I completely agree with that one. The next thing we look at NKLA, Nikola, or oh, NKLA. This one is also extremely overvalued. We think um, ramped up all the way to ninety, let's say three dollars. Did pull back to the current thirty-eight dollar range right now. Kind of this previous key level of resistance is our new level of support. And we do see a nice descending zone right there. So in terms of what we're seeing right now on Nikola, you know, if it holds below $30 and then starts to actually round off, holding a key level of a support, and then if we're going to see something kind of along the lines of this, 
that's obviously going to be extremely bullish. You're looking for a key level of resistance potentially to be acting as a new level of support on the way up or some other zone that we don't know just yet. But, you know, if you're looking for continuation patterns, I guess you could be looking for it. But just in terms of how far it's gone, you know, it was at like $10 in April and now it's at 38 and it went up all the way to $90. Um, if that's not just mass speculation, I don't really know what it is. It kind of reminds me of like, the altcoin market in fall of 2017 when things were just absolutely ballooning and i just i personally wouldn't put money in it um like nathan said you got to look at the risk reward right that's the biggest thing especially right now when there's a lot of uncertainty yes there is hope optimism within the overall equities market we see the spx do very well but there is, in my opinion, still a worry as we're getting slowly into the winter months in the uh, kind of northern hemisphere. There is a chance that uh, this kind of pandemic could have a second wave and things could get locked down. So we're not out of the woods yet. So I would say patience is a, is a vital characteristic as a trader <laughs> right now. Um, that's kind of it yeah. for me. Uh, as a wrap-up, did you have... I just wanted that? to uh, pitch in with some Nikola facts that they... Um, Pre-orders for their vehicle were $250. And this was... Um, it's like a fuel cell company. So kind of electric vehicle, kind of not. Um, and they sold $24.7 billion... No, sorry, $14 billion in pre-orders which put their market cap at $24.7 billion, which was higher than some larger companies, or not larger, I guess, technically, but larger than Ford and GM. What's crazy Wait. is they're already manufacturing vehicles. <laughs> like, yeah. Nikola has nothing. <laughs> yeah, Nikola is a ghost company. And their cap, I don't know, the, the whole revenue thing with pre-order sales... They're counting that revenue as real money, but there hasn't been a like an exchange of goods, so is it really revenue? I don't know. It's pretty whack. That's a question for the SEC. Yeah, I feel like they're pretty relaxed about that situation. Yeah, like it's so misleading when a brand new IPO company comes out with $14 billion in revenue and they can't even make vehicles. Like, they do not have the manufacturing ability to make vehicles. But they claimed they made $14 billion worth of them from selling pre-orders online. Who knows, man? It's 2020. There's crooked shit going on every day. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Not worth the risk-reward, in my opinion, but... Uh, yeah. I mean, we kind of grazed over the topic pretty hard, but Neo's in the same boat. They're doing the pre-order system, same kind of idea, electric, green vehicle, and just not really, not something that appeals to my appetite for risk, let's say. Although, structurally speaking, it looks kind of bullish. Yeah, 100%. That's like a, if you go, I'm just looking at it on the four hour, that's like a cup and handle if I've ever seen one, but... Yeah. And that's going to be the retest, and then you got a nice squeeze, and yeah, I I would say in just terms of technical standpoint, it looks a little bit bullish, but in terms of fundamentals, yeah, I, I can't see it um, being valued. Well, especially with Nikola, that's just not really being fair with the valuation. But hey, 
Who knows? Yeah. I mean, there, there's other companies that are doing equally as nefarious things. Like, if we move on to our next topic of more companies that we're avoiding, <laughs> uh, we have Uber and Lyft. Um, specifically, there's one really big problem with these two companies is that some states are mandating that companies that employ the giga economy, let's call it, have to have their um, staff members listed as employees and not independent contractors. This is to benefit the employee in that they will get benefits, like insurance, dental, whatever, um, covered. But the problem with Uber and Lyft is that they're ghost companies, so they don't really have the revenue profit to make that happen. Their margins are negative anyways. Their current business models both exist on just borrowing more debt. Like, they don't turn profit. So it's the the shareholders and the capital investors that ultimately are just paying for people's Uber rides in and around the city. I mean, I use Uber. I love that shit. I'm getting, I'm getting stockholders to pay to drive me around downtown Vancouver, but it is not something I would invest in. Yeah, def- definitely fair enough. They never looked at it that way. <laughs> the investors paying for me to drive around. Yeah. It's a great way to look at it, for sure. And then also, Lyft, Lyft is in a similar boat, so let's look at that. Just did a little bit of TA. I think around $29, $30 is kind of where it's at for support. It's really failing to break above 34 so I really don't think that uh, you should be really looking at any opportunity. I personally wouldn't be looking at any opportunities until at least it breaks above 35 in my opinion. Then you're breaking out of the zone, potentially going up to that next high or to the higher high right there. But uh, overall, it does look like it's fading to the downside. It failed to make even the same high. It made a lower high than the previous high, and that high was lower than that high. So it's continuously making lower lows and lower highs with a very aggressive low. So I think if we are going to be looking for a potential meltdown, you could be seeing something like this yet again. So... Uh, definitely, I agree with Nathan. It's going to be on the uh, do not touch list. And Lyft yeah. is actually at a worse point. So if we're looking at relative strength and weakness, because Uber and Lyft are very similar, you can compare the two different companies and go Uber and Lyft. And obviously, this is not incorporating any of the fundamentals or anything. This is just technicals. But we can see that Lyft, if you're looking at it, let's say at the start of 2020. So let's just go and zoom in at the start of 2020 right here we can see that Lyft is at a much worse place than Uber. So that's indicating to you that there's more demand for Uber than Lyft during this time frame, indicating you could be looking, if you're looking too short or gain exposure in uh, a position too short, uh, ride-sharing companies like Uber or Lyft due to this fundamental factor of not being able to uh, actually uh, actually like have a business in California or like uh, give rides in California just because they can't really make any money. So if you have to pick, I would say relatively strength, relatively weak uh, assets like Lyft would be a better option just in terms of the technicals. But yeah, I completely agree with you on that one. So let's just take Uber off and look at Lyft. Really since the IPO, it's been making lower lows and lower highs. It's really just failing to do much here, barely able to grind above this level of support. I think mean, it's going to be uh, looking to break this zone. We could reach that low again at around $15, but we can see it's not doing very well. It's been performing very poorly since the IPO, so the overall momentum and direction would be to the downside. 
let's just see a nice little descending zone there that failed to hold. So then let's just go here. We're not going to play with it all day, but that's going to be the key low that we're going to see potentially is around $15 from around the $28 if it starts to really break down. So that's going to be the discussion on Uber and Lyft. Uh, if you have any comments, if you have any kind of thoughts that uh, you'd like to kind of uh, express from your thoughts, definitely drop them in the comment section below. We do like to get some feedback or uh, a, a new topic or a discussion about Lyft or Uber and what your thoughts are. So definitely put them in the comments if you'd like. So um, you got any final thoughts on ride-sharing companies there, Nathan? No, we can uh, wrap it up here. It's been an awesome episode. Thanks for stopping by and making it this far. Again, if you have any insight or suggestions for what we should talk about, we'd love to hear about it. Drop it in the comments, message us on Discord, Instagram, whatever. We're open ears for any and all suggestions. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and this wraps up episode 10 of the Performante Podcast. All right. Have a good one, everyone.